morning. Thanks, man. All right. How are y'all today? I see a large, a large gap of people because 12 people are missing. I mean, more people than that, but the LaCroix family is sick. So um, today we're going to be talking about atheism. It's part of our American God series. It's about small g gods, quote-unquote gods, that we worship in America. Um, Idols, anti-Christian religions, anti-Christian belief systems, that kind of thing. Things that we're tempted to worship. So we've talked about three M's so far. Can anyone tell me what the three M's have been? Shout them out. Materialism. Good job. Mormonism and Marxism. Very good. All right, three M's. Today, today we're, we're going to talk about an, an A, switching from M to A. We're going to get the A of atheism. And we'll, at least, that, that, that's related to another A, agnosticism. So, but atheism, what is atheism? Well, atheism is the belief that God doesn't exist, right? There's no God. Um, not, no God of any kind. That's atheism. Or some atheists like to say, well, I'm not saying that God doesn't exist. I'm saying there's not enough, you know, there's not enough proof. Like, I just don't have a good reason. That's, it, what's, what's the difference between those things, really? Well, what it still comes down to is people sneering at God and the idea of God. So I don't think there's much difference between those ways of defining atheism. You get the same result. Um, you, get, you get men and women who are committed to hating God. All right? Um, it, but in any case, that second definition of atheism, like, well, there's not enough proof, that's related to agnosticism, which is what? Someone tell me. What's that? Don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a God. <clears throat> I'm not committed to, to anything, to any belief. But very often, what that actually turns into is, well, I'm committed to not <laughs> believing in a God, right? I'm committed to not believing in a God. I am, I am, I'm committed to the idea that we can't know if there's a God. We, there's not a way to know. There's not a way to figure it out. Now, wait a minute. How do you know that there's not a way to figure it out? How did you know that? Like, who told you that? That's just a good question you can ask someone if they say that. Um, so that's atheism, that's agnosticism. They're, they're very related, they're very close together. Uh, atheism is all over our culture, isn't it? It's all over. Um, there was a time in the mid-2000s, especially when this group of writers and talkers and debaters got really popular. You know some of these names. Um, you would see them on the news, they'd write best-selling books. I mean, some of them are still around, but there was... They, they were just, they had a lot of exposure at the time. So, and they'd have debates with various Christians, various evangelicals, you know, and they'd pop up on CNN and say things. Guys like Christopher Hitchens, heard of Christopher Hitchens, now deceased. Brit, British guy, lived in America, um, died in 2011. He wrote the book, God is Not Great. Richard Dawkins, still alive, another, another Brit, evolutionary biologist, wrote the book, The God Delusion, um, any, any of you read either of those, those books? No, me either. Okay. 
Sam Harris is an American philosopher and neuroscientist. He wrote the book, The End of Faith. The End of Faith. He wrote a lot of other books, too. Um, and, oh yeah, Daniel Dennett, American philosopher and scientist, wrote books on evolution and atheism. These guys were all friends, called themselves the Four Horsemen. The Four Horsemen of the Non-Apocalypse, I think, was... They're very, they're very cheeky. They're very, they're very clever, these guys. So, but I think it's the British guys that you would remember because they have British accents. They're more suave, especially Christopher Hitchens. If you ever saw him debate, he's really like compelling, photogenic, slick, just a good talker. Just like, just like to watch him. Just like to listen to him talk. Um, but Richard Dawkins would pop up on the news and say things like this. This is a quote. And I, I'm tempted to do a British accent, but I'm, I'm going to refrain. <laughs> it seems to me that telling children that they really, really believe that people who sin are going to go to hell and roast forever, it seems to me to be intuitively entirely reasonable that that is a worse form of child abuse than sexual abuse, right? That will give more nightmares, that will give more genuine distress because they really believe. So that's, that's Richard Dawkins. Raising your children to be Christians is worse than child abuse. Right, here's, here's one more quote. I just, I just like this. It just made me chuckle, this quote. This is Sam Harris. I don't think I've ever seen, seen him or heard his voice, but Sam Harris, in Letter to a Christian Nation, he said, Atheism is nothing more than the noises reasonable people make in the presence of unjustified religious beliefs. <laughs> Do you, can you hear the sneering? I mean, the substance of what I just read to you, right, is mostly a sneer. We're not really dealing with those quotes. You know, they make arguments, but those quotes aren't arguments. Those are just, those are just, I despise you. I want you to know it. I hate you. I hate your God. I hate you. Um, and, and I think that these men have had an effect through their sneering and their force of personality. They've had an effect in, in America. They've made it kind of cooler to be an atheist. It, people do like to sneer. All of us have to be on guard against ourselves, right? We like to sneer at people we despise. Well, it's worse because of what we're going to get into, our natural hatred of God. Um, I don't have any statistics for you on how they've drawn people away from the faith, but I, I can tell you that according to a 2019 poll, atheism has been on the rise in America. So from... From 2009 to 2019, 10-year period, you see a pretty significant increase of self-reported atheists. In 2009, 2% of adults would say, yeah, I'm an atheist. Now, it's a, it's a little weird because some of those people still believe in some kind of higher power, so why are they calling themselves atheists? Well, I don't know. But anyway, 2%, and then in 2019, 4%, which is not still a big slice of our population, but that's a doubling of people, isn't it? Agnostics, same, 3% in 2009. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Up to 5% in 2019. So it's on the rise. It's on the rise in our nation. Um, atheism is uh, it's around. It's more than just around. It's more than just in your workplace, because I'm going to guess you've at least had a coworker in your life who was like, yeah, I don't believe in God, and I have a reason, or, right? I've, I've had coworkers who were like, yeah, no. Atheist, agnostic, whatever. But it's, it's more than just around. It's, it's 
It's in us. It's in the church. It's in our hearts. Um, What do I mean? Well, I mean that sometimes we, Christians, act like God doesn't exist. Like he doesn't exist. It's how we act. Um, it It shows up in our prayer lives, or our lack of prayer lives. It shows up in how we treat Sunday morning worship. It shows up in how it shows up in, it shows up in uh, sins we struggle with or refuse to struggle with, if you know what I mean, right? Um, and in a hundred other ways. So I want to talk about that today too because that's the point of this series, right? Not just American gods, bad, bad out there, bad people, stupid people out there, but what about us? Where does this touch down on our own hearts, Right? Because otherwise, it's not useful to us except to make us proud. And we don't need any help being proud, do we? (laughs) I don't. So let me start with this. What does the Bible say about atheists? Does it talk about atheism? Yes, it does. It talks about those who deny the existence of God. So for instance, Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there, you got the atheist, right? There is no God. And Right away, you have the judgment of God on the atheist. Not like, hmm, that's interesting, let's debate this, but fool. Fool. Okay. But the, the most foundational passage, I think, for talking about this stuff is Romans 1. Pastor Bailey, if you were here last week, you heard him bring it up for a minute. Um, Romans 1, 18 to 25 is... The text in the Bible most foundational for our understanding of atheism, agnosticism, thinking about God's existence, thinking about what people know about God's existence or what they don't know, for understanding the intellectual position, you know, of atheism, and understanding our own hearts when we're tempted to act like God doesn't exist. So I'm going to read this chunk to us. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's the heart of the Bible's teaching on the knowledge of God, the heart of it. God has made himself known to all men. He's made himself known through creation. That's what this says, that God has shown it to himself. He's shown shown himself through what's been made to all of us. And he's shown all men his invisible attributes of eternal power and divine nature through the things that have been made, the creation. In other words, someone says, I don't believe in God. Maybe give me some evidence, you know? Maybe if he did give me actual evidence, like appearing to me in the night and predicting the future and breaking the laws of physics, 
then I'd believe in him. Okay, which is how some atheists talk, right? I've had some atheists talk to me that way, I feel like. Uh, what does Roman say? Roman says, hey, did you go outside and look at the grass? Then you know God, because the grass is a display of his divine power and his eternal nature. The grass? Well, not just the grass. The bugs, the, bu the little bugs in the grass. The bugs? Yeah, the bugs in the sky and the color green and the fact that there is such a thing as sound and you, there's sound waves. Um, your own two hands, your toenails, the beating of your heart. You yourself are a created thing, right? We're all created things. We are evidence of God's divine power and his eternal nature. We're evidence. That's evidence. Um, all of God's creation reveals this to us. You can go, you can, read, you can read the same kind of thing in Psalm 19. Go read Psalm 19. It talks about the same idea that all of creation is talking about God, proclaiming God. So, and then Paul says what? End of verse 20. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, so let's just stop there. What is this saying? All men are without excuse. Why? Why? Because they've known God. They know God. On some level, they know God simply through creation. Now, through what's been made. I, and although they knew him, they didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, what is the point of this passage? Apply it to atheism. Here's the point. There are no atheists. Does not exist. There are no atheists. There has never been an atheist. It is not possible for there to be an atheist. There are no atheists. So that's starting point, right? That's point number one. Um, obviously, there are many who deny God's existence. I don't mean there aren't. Just like there are many people who, who are like, yeah, I believe in some kind of higher power like the Force from Star Wars. Um, but not the Christian God. But this passage is saying not that everyone just has some kind of concept of a higher power. This is talking about what God in particular. Let's use his name. Um, Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God gives to Moses and to Abraham. This is who I am. This is my personal name. I'm the one who actually made the earth. I have a name. I'm very particular. I'm not just like kind of a category of a divine being or a power. I am Yahweh. I am God. I made the earth. And so this, this passage is saying that everyone actually knows that God, like our God, like the true God. Remember, remember the word no. As so often in the Bible, it doesn't just mean like, I know algebra. I know a fact. It means it's relational. I know a person. I know God personally on some level. Everyone has a kind of relationship with God. No, not, not a good one, but that doesn't mean they don't know him, right? Um, God has made himself known. So it's not, just, um, it's not just, you know, your fingers, your toes, your heartbeats in the grass that reveal God to you. Let's, let's jump to another part of Romans real quick. Romans 2, 14 to 15 says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, 
the law of God, right? The Ten Commandments. By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So remember, Gentiles who are Gentiles, not Jews. All of us, unless someone here is, is Jewish or something. So we're, we're the Gentiles. Um, Gentiles didn't know God. They didn't know about God. They didn't have the law of God. They didn't have those Ten Commandments. Those weren't given to every nation. They were just given to Jews. Exclusive community, right? Um, and so they didn't have his standards of right and wrong like the Jews did. Okay? But in some sense, what's the point of what I just read? God's law is and has always been written on our hearts. Um, everyone has a conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Everyone has some idea of right and wrong, and it guides them. When mankind fell into sin, a lot of things got messed up, didn't they? Like, a lot of things got messed up, including our sense of right and wrong. Like, it's very imperfect. (laughs) If you have any children, you understand that that's an imperfect mechanism. It got kind of broken. It got kind of twisted. If you know yourself at all, you ought to know. You can't always trust your moral intuitions. Sometimes they're wrong. (laughs) Um, But you know what didn't happen? It didn't get erased. You still have one. You still have something. You still accuse yourself of doing right and wrong at different times, don't you? Right? So, Paul is saying that that's a witness to all of us of God, of God's law, therefore of God. So you don't know only that God exists through creation. You also know through your inner self. It's a witness to you. Your own heart tells you and it warns you, hey, Buddy, the buck stops somewhere. The buck stops somewhere. There will be some kind of judgment. There will be some kind of accounting. Everyone's heart tells them that. Tells them about God. Refers them up to something, to someone. Okay. There are no atheists. Everyone knows God. They know him how? Through creation and through conscience. Through creation and through conscience. So if there aren't any atheists, really... What are there? Well, there are rebels. That's what there are. There's rebels. That's what the passage says, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, everyone knows God, right? And we know that we owe him honor and we ought to thank him. And we say, no, no, I will not. Not going to do it. I won't bow. And that's rebellion. That's, that's unbelief in God, disbelief in God. It's, it's rebellion before it's a reason, right? It's, it's a refusal before it's any kind of argument. It's about the heart and the choices our hearts make before it's about our heads, our minds, our justifications. First we rebel. Then we make up the arguments. That's the order of business. No, I won't worship you. Now I have an intellectual, a philosophical argument about why I shouldn't have to honor you because I don't think God exists and I don't think there's any evidence. And by the way, even if God did exist, he would be terrible because look at evil in the world and I wouldn't have to worship him. Right? Now that's the actual order of business. That's, how, that's, that's what we do. Um, think of suppressing... 
the truth of God. Because it, so verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This idea of suppressing the truth is really important. You know, think of a beach ball. You're in the pool. You're going to hold the beach ball down. Can you do that? Can you suppress it? Yeah, it kind of. You really ha- it takes a lot of work. But you can, you can keep it under. What it wants to do is pop up, right? It wants to pop up. We can suppress the knowledge of God, right? This is called lying to yourself. It's called self-deception. We can do that. We can't do it perfectly, of course, right? And we have to work pretty hard. It's not natural, but it can be done. And we do do it. And we just, the best we can, we're going to keep the knowledge of God down there where we don't have to deal with it. We'll bury it. We'll bury it as best we can. Um, but does, does my lie erase the truth? Does my lie about God and his existence, does it erase the truth of God being there? No. Lies don't change reality. Lies don't change reality, no matter how good you are at lying. God is there. God is here. The whole world is speaking his name. All right. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, You might remember Pastor Bailey saying that we need to give thanks to God. And that's the alternative in this passage to giving thanks to God is to have our thinking become futile. Futile. Going nowhere. Going nowhere. A dead end. That does describe atheism. I mean, the reason that Richard Dawkins... Smart guy, professor of biology, writer of books, has a cool British accent. The reason that he makes the arguments he makes is this. Okay? Although Richard Dawkins knew God, he chose not to honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. But instead, he became futile in his thinking, his foolish heart was darkened, and he began to appear on CNN and say things like, Teaching your kids to love Jesus is child abuse. That's how we got there. What do I know about a society that believes that teaching kids to love Jesus is child abuse? I know that that society is pro-child abuse. I know that they believe in it. I know that, and Pastor Jake was talking about this at the men's night on Friday, I know that the LGBTQXYZ community wants our children They want them. What do they want? Well, they want to corrupt and kill them. They want them dead. They want their souls dead. They want them to be enslaved to the same lusts and evil desires that they're enslaved to. They want... They want to abuse and destroy them. They want to take possession of the bodies of our kids. This is true. It's not... It's, this is no hidden conspiracy. This is just an open thing that people talk about. Go on the news and watch it. Go on Twitter. People talk about this. It's open. It's not hidden. Um, and it's, it's no accident that what the passage does next is it goes on to talk about how as people continue to deny God, God gives them over more and more to more degraded lusts like homosexuality. That is a natural progression of God saying, okay, you reject me, you refuse me, 
have your own way, well, it will not end well. And that's, you can see this all over America, right? You understand the results of atheism, refusing to worship the true God. So, okay, <clears throat> let me stop for a second. What I, what I want to know, what I want to know is this. Do you, do you buy this? Do you believe, what I mean is, do you believe that God has accurately described reality for you here? Um, do you believe that he has the authority to tell you that even if someone claims, hey, I'm an atheist, I'm a reasonable person, I'm being objective, I have arguments. You should answer my arguments on my terms. Um, and I'm making these arguments in good faith. Well, no, I mean not faith, because faith is not, no. But you know what I mean. I mean reason, with good reason. And, 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 and I'm being objective. Okay. Do you believe that that person is actually lying? I don't even mean, if you like, though this gets a little tricky, that they know they're lying, but everyone kind of knows they're lying. This passage is saying everyone's lying, and on some level they know that. Do you buy this? Right? Um, I think that you're just like me, and especially if you're in my generation, I like to think my parents' generation is a little less affected by this, but at least all of us are in the same culture where we feel the pull, the tug, the temptation to define God or the lack of God on our own terms, on our own authority. In other words, to treat God like actually he is up for debate. You're right. And I, I better prove him. I better prove him. He is up for debate. That's how I start my life. And I debated enough that now I think there is a higher power and I think, you know, we just kind of keep building until we get to the Christian version of all this stuff, right? Um, that's certainly how an atheist treats God. God is up for debate. That's the whole idea. He's up for debate. Um, does he exist? I don't know, but you have to prove him to me. Burden of proof is on you. Prove him. Prove it. Um, well, so is that true? If I want to believe in the true and living God, do I have to earn the right by proving it? Right? Um, do I have to prove that I'm a reasonable person? If someone tells me I'm a religious bigot, should I have to prove it? I'm not. I'm not. No, look, I'm reasonable too. And I can, I can take your standards and that's okay. And we can... We can be in this neutral place. We can both be reasonable people and I'll answer you. I promise, you know, I'll prove it. Um, can we, we can have an honest conversation like that. I mean, the way you define honest, Mr. Atheist, we can have, we can use logic and reason. We can be reasonable the way that you define what's reasonable, Mr. Unbeliever. You, you can set the terms for the debate. Sure. And of course, of course I'll leave the Bible out of it. I mean, that's faith. Because we're talking about reason, right? Not faith. So let's leave this guy over here. Now we can have an honest conversation. I've felt the pull of that my whole life. That is what our culture is like, isn't it? Right? This is how people talk. And if you ever had a debate with your coworker, or you just got into it with someone, this is how they talk. This is what they want to do. Um, now listen, I'm going to keep repeating this phrase because... I like it. The buck has to stop somewhere. In fact, the buck stops somewhere for everyone. For everyone. It stops somewhere for everyone. Everyone has some way of deciding what's true 
and what's false. What's real and what's fake. What's right and what's wrong. Right? Everyone has some way. Everyone has a standard. That's what we're talking about. Everyone has a standard. And what's our standard as Christians? Well, God himself is our standard. And how is he communicated about himself to us? How has he revealed himself? I need a Sunday school answer. What's our standard? Jesus. And how has he revealed Jesus to us and talked to him about us? Talk to, talk to us about him. Abraham. The Bible. That's right. God, this is God's word. God reveals himself to us through his word. We have an actual standard to appeal to, right? Um, this, this is God saying to us, here's who I am. Here's what I'm like. Here's what I require of you, right? That's all in here. Um, and God has the authority to do that, right? I mean, if he's God. And so the buck stops for us as Christians with God's word. Stops right here. Um, and, 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 but does it, what if someone doesn't believe in God or they say they don't believe in God? Does the buck not stop with God anymore because they don't believe in him? No. The buck still stops with God. God still has authority over that person as they deny him, right? Okay, so where does the buck stop for an unbeliever? Uh, let's, say, let's say he's an atheist proper. I deny the existence of God. Okay, all right, Mr. Atheist, where does the buck stop? Um, I'm going to tell you that he can't answer that. He can't answer that. He doesn't have an answer. Um, let's just do a little thought experiment. If I ask him, okay, why shouldn't we murder? Why shouldn't we murder? Do you believe that murder is okay? No, I don't believe murder is okay. Okay. Uh, why? Well, I think that people should do what's right for other people's well-being. Okay, their well so what's, what's their well-being? What's that? Well, their well-being is like their freedom, their happiness. Okay. So what do you, what do you mean by happiness? You know, just asking questions here. Well, that's when people can do what they want as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Okay, starting to go in circles here, but what do you mean by harm someone else? Harm someone else. Do you, what, what about if someone's a cannibal? Well, that harms someone else. So do you... So, but, but they think it's fine. Well, they shouldn't. Well, why not? Well, because... Well, because it's harming someone... But that's not what's important to them. What's important to them, at least back in the day, I don't actually know if we still have cannibals, but we sure did. And let me tell you, these people were committed to being able to eat other people. And who are you to tell them, Mr. Atheist, stop it? Who are you to tell them, stop it? Why should we tell them, stop it? Well, because... Because that doesn't lead to the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Wait, wait, really? Why should we do, why should we try to make the greatest number of people happy? Who told us that that was the goal of all human life? Where did you get that idea? Well, I just think it's reasonable. Now, hold on. If you've ever had a conversation like this, what you should understand and what I'm trying to do here is show you 
it goes in a big circle. And we're just arguing about the definitions of words. And eventually, you might be able to help that person see, maybe, that you don't have any foundation, no place the buck stops. You're making this up. Other people have completely different places the buck stops. The cannibal doesn't agree with you that the buck should stop at making the greatest number of people happy. The cannibal wants to be able to eat people. And why shouldn't he be able to? Who's there to tell him no? You? Who gave you that authority? Me? Maybe it's just the silly prejudice that you don't like cannibalism. Have you ever thought about that? Now, this really is the level of the debate. It really is. It really is. Um, I don't accept the unbeliever's authority to define why everyone should be doing what they're doing and who should tell them no. Don't accept it. Listen, even if someone says, I don't believe in God, and I think everything is relative, everything's relative, have you noticed that even if they say that, that doesn't stop them from arguing that some things are right and some things are wrong, some things are true and some things are false. They still talk like that all the time because they can't stop living in the universe that God made which is a world where there is right and wrong. We do have a conscience. We are impelled to make certain judgments. That was bad. That was stupid. That argument doesn't hold up. We can't stop it. Even if we can't give an honest account of why anything should have any meaning at all. Who can say why anything should have any meaning at all? We can. We can. Our God made the world. And he revealed himself. And our God explains, he's the reason why, he's the explanation for why. There is real and fake. There is truth and lie. There is good. There's evil. Yahweh. He's why. So my point, my point is simple. All of us have to rest on the foundation that God has given us. We have to trust his authority. We have to buy it. We have to believe it. We have to act like that. Whatever conversations you have with someone who doesn't know Jesus, whether we're talking about someone who's like read the Christopher Hitchens book and he wants to debate you, you know, or just someone who's like, yeah, I don't know, but I know that my God is a God of love and he would never send people to hell. I've heard a lot of that too. Whoever it is, whatever kind of situation it is, I'm not telling you what to say to them. There's as many kinds of conversations you could have as there are unbelievers. I'm just telling you, you have to hold on to this. You have to believe that you actually know and understand that person. How do you know and understand them? What are they? They're someone who knows that God exists. God made them. He imprinted them with a revelation of, them, of himself. They can't escape it. And they're lying about him right now. Their thinking has become futile, and they're lost in the dark, and they need Jesus. And you have to trust that you You have the inside track on everyone that you meet. Not because you're a wizard or a psychic, but because you're a Christian. And God told you ahead of time so that you would know this is what the world is like. Everyone you meet, this is what they're like. I've had this kind of conversation with several different unbelievers. Some of them, like, 
proper atheist. I deny the existence of God. I have a cousin who's not a believer. Let's call her Sarah. A long time ago, Sarah and I were talking, and we, we really got, I wanted to share the gospel with her, right? We really got into this whole idea of where does the buck stop? What's the standard? And so I was just, I just kept asking questions and pointing out that she didn't have anywhere the buck stopped. Like, I would say, what is that turtle standing on? And she'd say, well, this turtle down here, you know, and pretty soon there's just turtles all the way down, like we like to say. And she eventually was like, huh. And, and I said to her, you know, Sarah, <laughs> you don't have any basis for anything you believe or anything that's important to you, but here's what you do do. You want to be your own God. You don't want to worship God. You, you worship yourself. That's what I said to her. And you know what she said to me? <laughs> she said, huh, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> and she was cool with it. And now that makes me really sad. On the one hand, it's funny. On the other hand, it's like heartbreaking, right? Like, I, you want to worship yourself knock yourself out. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to serve? Why do you, why do you bother living? You're going to worship yourself? You're not worth worshiping. You got nothing if that's what you have. You have nothing and less than nothing. But that's important to remember that everyone worships something. Everyone worships someone because everyone submits themselves to someone or something. You can't stop it. What we are by nature is worshipers, right? We're worshipers. I mean, if you know anyone well at all in your life, you ought to have some idea of what they worship. You understand this, right? This is basic, like, do I know this person? I know what they worship. Um, This passage we've been looking at, Romans 1, it's not just about atheists, is it? What we call atheists. It's about, I mean, the Apostle Paul's writing at a time when there are lots of gods around and people worship Zeus or Athena or, you know, the philosophers at the time, they had a god, kind of like a thought experiment, who was an ultimate power. But like I said, a thought experiment, not, not our god. There are all kinds of gods. Some people worshipped a lot of them. There probably were some, you know, what we call atheists too. Intellectual people who were like, I don't think there's a good reason to believe it. Whatever. Um, but we wouldn't, and we wouldn't call, we'd call those people polytheists. Poly meaning many. They worship many gods. But what do they have in common with all atheists? They don't worship the true God. They don't worship the true God. They worship other gods. They worship other things. Um, and everyone today, we don't have as many images and statues, right, as they had back there. I think maybe as paganism kind of rises from the ashes in our culture, we'll see more images and statues. But in any case, we don't need images or statues to worship false gods. We don't, we don't have to have a physical thing. Some people worship money. That's what they bend their whole lives around. And all their affections are in service of the dollar. Right? Some people worship their families. They worship their kids. Everything in their life is bent towards their kids or their parents or something. That has the highest point of affection and reverence in their hearts. Some people worship themselves. <laughs> Some people worship themselves. But everyone is some kind of worshiper because everyone bows to someone. Okay, what have we learned so far? One, no atheists. 
Everyone knows God through creation and conscience. Two, atheism is about the heart before it's about the head. It's about rebellion before it's about reason, right? Rebellion is the issue. Three, the buck stops somewhere for everyone. Four, everyone is a worshiper. And that brings us back to us. That brings us back to us Christians. Worshippers of the true God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Brings, brings us to our atheism problem. Let's just call this the sin of atheism. This is the sin of refusing to act like God exists and deserves our honor and gratitude. Um, I talked about how we're tempted to think like atheists. That's what I was trying to get at. We shouldn't think like atheists, like God is up for debate. But the problem is that we sometimes act like atheists. So remember the line from Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I would say each of us has a little fool who lives inside us and talks to us sometimes. <laughs> and the little fool says, ah, forget about God. <laughs> Just for a few minutes at least. You want to click on that website? Suppress, suppress, suppress. Push the knowledge of God under the water. <laughs> Don't think about what you're doing. Don't think about your Father in heaven. Don't think about the consequences of this or the way your wife is going to feel or anything like that. Just click and forget. Be an atheist for a second. Come on. Everyone's doing it. Um, if you're tempted to gossip, to talk to people, talk about people behind their backs, you know, be happy about their unhappiness, well, the little fool in your heart is talking to you. Like, just don't worry about God for now. Have a good time. You can, you can apologize later to God, right? Um, if you're tempted to anything, outbursts of anger, being lazy, not taking responsibility, whatever it is. Every temptation in the end is like a temptation to deny that God exists, if you see what I'm saying. Why? Because it's all about saying to him, I'm not going to honor you, not going to act like you have any authority, not right now, not going to act like I have to thank you or obey you. We're just going to forget all that for a minute <laughs> so that I can sin. Um, if, if the little fool inside your heart is as clever as the little fool who lives inside me, sometimes, sometimes what he says is, don't worry about it. God will forgive you. <laughs> Has your heart ever said that to you? Uh, yeah, God will forgive me. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do it. Um, that's one of the worst things that we say to God. It, it's, it's a way of justifying spitting in his face right now, Right? So all sin is worse than we think. We think, yeah, it's bad. It's bad to lust. It's bad to gossip. It's bad to be angry. It's, it's bad to be lazy. But, but what? But all sin is deeper because it's really personal to God. It's a personal denial of what we ought to give to God. The good things we should give him. Right? Um, and and if, if you're a Christian... If you're, if you're someone who's been reconciled to God, it's even worse. Can you see how it's worse than that even? I had a very sensitive conscience from an early age. Some of you know what that's like, like kind of oversensitive, anxious. Some of you don't. Um, I, uh, my mom would tell us, you know, not to touch the electrical outlets. Good mom. She would say, no! I hope that didn't shock any of you. Um, 
Sorry about that. I, I, she, so she'd say that in a stern voice. One time I'm told that I came up to her at age like two, three, I don't know. And I said, Mama, no. And that was my way of, of saying to her, Hey, I touched an electrical outlet. I feel really guilty. Would you please punish me? <laughs> so I, I've had, through my whole life, I've had a very keen sense of like guilt and shame and I did bad stuff and ah, oh, I feel so bad and I ought to be punished, you know. Um, it's knowledge on some level that I was a sinner, right? Uh, but is that the same thing as knowing is that the same thing as treating my sin like it's sin against my Father in heaven? Is that really the same thing, that kind of overactive conscience thing, as, as, as thinking about God and how he loves me? No. No, no, it's not. It's not. I've realized that over the course of my life. Sometimes I've thought, I'm good. I feel bad about a lot of stuff. But that's not really the point, is it? Um... When you live as a Christian and when you deal with your sin as a Christian, the guilt that you feel should match up with the good that God has done for you. I'm not just sinning against my maker. I mean, I am. But I'm sinning against my Father in heaven who loves me. I'm not just sinning against the Lord. I am. But I'm also sinning against the Lord who loved me and gave his life for me. I'm not just sinning against the Holy Spirit. I'm sinning against the Holy Spirit who lives inside me. It's a lot more intimate, our sin. It's worse than we think. It's more personal. And the way that we feel about it and deal with it should be different than if it were just kind of like, oh, I feel so bad. I'm so guilty. What you should feel is some grief. What you should feel is, I don't want to do that anymore. I love God. He's given me everything. He made me. He saved me. He loves me. All right, so how do we deal with uh, atheism? How should the church deal with atheism? Whatever we should do, we should, we should deal with it like Christians, which is to say, deal with ourselves first, right? Deal with our own hearts first. Let's not act like atheists. Let's not live like atheists. Where is there in your life where you're like, I'd rather God not have that part of my life. I'd rather not listen to that part of the scripture that's uncomfortable enough that that is something I am very willing to suppress because that touches a nerve or that just, it's just too much. And it's not reasonable, is it, for you to expect me to listen to that part of your words? So, all right, we all do this. All of us do this at different times in different ways. What is it that you don't want God to have? In your life? Where is it in your heart that you're like, just, could you just leave that part alone? I'm an angry person. My dad was angry and I'm angry and that's just how it is. Well, no, no. God is there with you in your anger and in every part of your life. Um, in the world, we live in a world that needs this, right? They need to be reconciled to God. They need to not live as atheists. They need to come to Jesus, and have the light of God change their hearts and the love of God change their hearts. And we want to be people who are witnesses of that. We want to be people who are witnesses of that and who can love them and talk to them. That's what we want. So let me pray for us. 
Father, your hands made and fashioned us, and you also saved us. You've called us to worship you in spirit and in truth. You made us your own. Every, every little corner of our lives, every nook and cranny of our hearts that belongs to you, you ought to have it. We want to honor you. We want to acknowledge you. We want to worship you. We don't just want to do this in private. We want to do it with our friends and our coworkers, our family members. We want to acknowledge you before the world. But please help us to do this. We pray that we would carry deep in our hearts the truths that you've taught us today. Thank you for your constant goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.